Welcome to the Nach Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today we are discussing the fifth parak of Sefer Yehoshua, which is a parak of enormous significance. First, we are told that the nations of Canaan took note uh, and were profoundly discouraged and frightened by the miraculous crossing of the Yardin. That is clearly kind of wrapping up the narrative from the previous two chapters, the previous two prakim, and then it moves in quick succession to four hugely important events that take place. Number one, Hashem commands Yehoshua to see to it that all of the Jewish men receive a bris milah, a circumcision, which they promptly attend to do. Next, the Bnei Israel offer a carbon Pesach and celebrate Pesach. Following that, number three, the man stops falling, and we are told that the people begin to uh, eat the produce of the land of Kinaan. And finally, four, Yehoshua has an encounter with an angelic being, an encounter that is very similar to Moshe's encounter with the burning bush. Today, I want to focus on one, two, and three. I want to focus on Mila, Karban Pesach, and the Mun, and I want to hold off on focusing on Yehoshua's very important encounter with this angelic being, because that really belongs to the next discussion, which will be the war against Yericho. Our Perek is quite verbose and explicit in telling us something that is a bit shocking. The Jewish people have not performed bris mila since leaving Egypt. That's when they were commanded to do so, right before giving of the carbon Pesach or eating the carbon Pesach in Egypt, Pesach Mitzrayim. And since then, they have not performed this very important mitzvah. And we'll add to that revelation uh, an additional kind of revelation. And that is, based on the rabbinic tradition, that itself obviously is drawing on subtle textual cues that the Bnei Israel have not given the Karban Pesach either since the second year of their sojourn in the Midbar in the wilderness. And this is shocking. Not just because the Bnei Israel have neglected certain mitzvot at a time when we otherwise might envision the people to be living a kind of ideal state of, uh, of mitzvah observance, but because these two mitzvot are distinguished as perhaps the two most fundamental and, dare I say, important positive mitzvot in the Torah. After all, these two commandments are distinguished for being the only two positive commandments, if neglected, that one receives a severe punishment of kares, of excision, of being cut off from the Jewish people. If you fail to perform these two positive mitzvot, the punishment is kares. That is unique to these two mitzvot. How then could these two mitzvot be neglected for the entirety or much of the midbar experience? It's shocking. And various explanations are given uh, about brismila in particular, that uh, perhaps uh, the reason why it was neglected over the, the course of the midbar was not because it was really neglected per se, it was just the conditions weren't suitable in the midbar for the people to give brismila. Rashid, quoting the Medrash, uh, describes a certain wind that would not blow when they were in the midbar, which you know essentially meant the environment wasn't suitable for bris milah. Other mefarshim say that Radak, for example, says that at any moment the Jewish people could have been called upon to travel, and so there was no assurance that there would be time for a baby 
or for a person who was older without a bris milah, to recover from what was a, a pretty significant procedure, certainly back then. And so for all these reasons, the Jewish people simply could not perform bris milah when they were in the Midbar. One thing seems clear, and that is that the Torah and Sefer Yehoshua here don't seem to be giving any sort of censure for the lapse of this observance. So it it does seem that the Jewish people, for some reason, were, I wouldn't say quite off the hook, but this doesn't seem to be as egregious as one would might have imagined it being. You could imagine Yehoshua, as he turns to the Jewish people and tells them to once again begin doing bris milah, to have, to have opened with some sort of criticism, or perhaps Hashem would have, in telling Yehoshua to do this, have opened with some sort of criticism, but not so. It's just very matter-of-fact. Hashem, Hashem tells the Jewish people, uh, tells Yehoshua, rather, to tell the Jewish people, okay, let's, let's uh, once again perform a bris milah. And so it, it does kind of seem uh, that for one reason, or one reason or another, this wasn't such an egregious breach, which is quite, again, surprising given the incredible importance that is placed upon these two mitzvos. And I think if we probe a little bit the essence of what these two mitzvos mean and signify, we can perhaps give a, a, a little bit of a, a, an account for why this may, they may have been less significant during the people's sojourn in the Midbar. The mitzvah of bris milah is a sign of the covenantal relationship that Hashem established with Abraham Avinu, a covenant that not only outlines our destiny to be enslaved and then redeemed and then to inherit the land of Kena'an, but a covenant that binds us as a people in that shared destiny. The bris signifies membership to the Jewish people. This is why not having a bris results in kares, getting cut off. You could say that it's not so much a punishment, but an outgrowth, a result. Being uncircumcised is a kind of de facto renunciation of that membership to our people. The same is true of the carbon Pesach. Giving the carbon Pesach in Egypt was a defiant gesture, publicly killing and eating an animal that was worshiped by the Egyptians was a declaration in no uncertain terms that I am a member of the Bnei Israel. It was a moment where each member of Bnei Israel stuck a flag in the ground and cast their lot with the Jewish people to say that their destiny would forever be bound up in the destiny of that people. And that is why, likewise, not giving a carbon Pesach is punishable by Karis, just like not having a bris milah. It's almost the inevitable outgrowth. It's a failure to assert one's Jewish identity. So it turns out that we have two mitzvos being neglected in the Midbar, which are at their core an affirmation of, their, of one's connectedness to the nation. And so perhaps we can say that these mitzvos fell out of focus because the entire time that the Jews were in the Midbar, were in the, the wilderness, they were in a, a cocoon, largely cut off from the world around them. They were enveloped by clouds, camped around the Mishkan, eating the daily mun from heaven. These identity markers, uh, the, the, the mitzvos of Karban Pesach, the, mitzvos of, the mitzvah of bris milah, the, these identity markers were just not so important because there was no question of identity. There was no question of allegiance. The Jewish people were alone in the Midbar in an, in a, in a environment suffused with 
with their identity, with who they are. And so, if you were there, you were one of them. But now, in Sefer Yehoshua, we've ended that Midbar experience. Now we are a mere number of yards from the city of Yericho. And we're about to be commingling once again with an alien culture, with an attractive alien culture. And so it is once again critical to perform bris milah and to give the carbon Pesach and for everyone to reassert their identity as a member of the B'nai Israel. And so right after these two momentous uh, mitzvos, mitzvah observances take place, we learn that the mun stops falling. The last vestige of our wilderness, miraculous, cocoon-like experience falls away. And we are now ready to eat the produce of the land, to live a natural existence. And we are ready to confront the nations of Canaan, inoculated to their influence, and our resolve strengthened by the mitzvos of Mila and Karban Pesach, an affirmation of who we are, an affirmation of our identity. That's it for today. Chazak ve'matz and happy learning.